deep idealism and hidden pride of the melancholic. Brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. What are the melancholic temperaments, strengths, and weaknesses? What are effective ways to train a melancholic? What are the two greatest spiritual temptations the melancholic faces? And how can the melancholic best contemplate eternal truths, relish the joy of Christ, and enjoy a deep relationship with God? All this and more is discussed by Kevin Rorty in this 25th episode of Our Lady Shock Troops, a series dedicated to the interior life. Praise be Jesus and Mary. I'm David Rodriguez, content director for the Fatima Center, joined by Kevin Rorty of Souls of the Christian Apostle. Kevin, good to see you again. Great to see you, David. All right, so last time and the time before that, we talked about both the sanguine and the choleric temperaments. So today we get to talk about the melancholic temperament. And again, just as a quick reminder for everyone, the melancholic temperament is the one who will have a slower reaction to things, but the impression that stays with them will have a lingering effect. Slow reaction is the different thing. The other two with a fast reaction. As always, Kevin, if you will, let's go ahead and uh, if you'll lead us in prayer. Yep. In the name of the Father, the Spirit, the Son, the Amen. Veni, Sancte Spiritus, reple tuorum cora fidelium, et tui amoris in eis in umeshende, emite spiritum tuum acrebuntur. Et renovabis facem terre. Oremus. Deus qui cora fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, illustratione docuisti, da nobis in eodem spiritu recta sapere, et de eus semper consolatione gaudere. Per Christum Dominum Nostrum. Amen. And Amen. Amen. All right. So, Kevin, uh, melancholic, that is a word that I think most people recognize and understand. Uh, they usually associate it with sadness, depression, melancholy. And, of course, we're not trying to say here that this temperament is someone who is depressed uh, because, again, the temperament is just. You're sort of something built into the fabric of your DNA, again, how you're responding to things. Uh, so in this context of the temperaments, uh, which, of course, goes back to the ancients, what does the melancholic word, what does that word mean for the temperament? Yeah, so uh, like we talked about um, with regard to the choleric, they're kind of known as fire. Their principle of matter would be fire. Uh, for the sanguine, air. And then for the melancholic, who reacts deeply but not very quickly, it would be like earth. Okay, so... They can be known as the avoiding type. Uh, the clerics known as the ruling, domineering one. The sanguine, the very socially capable or useful one. The melancholic could be the avoiding one. Okay, they often are the creatives, artists, musicians, inventors, philosophers, doctors. Some of the strengths for the melancholic would be that they're thoughtful, they're considerate, they have deep, lasting ideas. They can plan a lot, like very scheduled, detailed, routine-oriented. Typically, they can be independent, thoughtful, good at solving problems, and, and they can be cautious, too. Uh, they don't just jump into things without thinking about it. So they tend to be very sincere in what they do. Their weaknesses, you can think of someone who's like that, uh, can also be they can be a bit obsessive and critical of others. They may not express it, though. Um, they might be too cautious. They might be prone to depression, sadness, moodiness. Maybe perfectionistic, pessimistic, cynical. They can be hard to please because they can be critical, not only themselves, but others. They can be very affected when there's crisis or tragedy. 
and uh, they can be have somewhat of a tunnel vision. Sometimes they might procrastinate, and they sometimes might play the victim, so to speak. So those are some of the strengths and weaknesses you might think of someone who might be like that. Um, David, do you have any uh, comments on that? Uh, not too, too many. I think you've done a pretty adequate job describing it. I think this is just oftentimes, again, I describe them sort of as the deep thinkers, you know, the more, if you will, philosophical type. Often maybe just to help people understand where they're at, I tend to ask, when you hear something, you know, you just sort of like you say something and the words are out of your mouth before you even thought of them, right? That That's what we're talking about, like the quick reaction. The melancholic almost always has sort of like an internal running dialogue in their head, right? It's almost like they're journaling in their own mind, in their own head about all these different things that they're thinking about. And they often don't say things until they sort of thought it out a little bit and they've processed it more internally. And because of that, they, yes, they are oftentimes, let's say, more quiet, more reflective, more thoughtful, slow to speak. And and that can certainly be an advantage, a strength. You know, it can be. I mean, not in a crisis situation. We've got to think quickly. But, I mean, like one thing I've done in my own sort of personal life just is, uh, especially any email that is uh, abrasive, you know, I think we all get them. You know, sometimes you get. And, and so my instant reaction is just, boom, I, I just rattle off. Da, 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 da. I got one today, actually, early today. And so I wrote out this response. And then I have trained myself to try to be a little bit more of that other temperament, that melancholic side. I'm like, don't send it. You know, you, you wrote it, and that's good. That's sometimes, I think, what I need. You write it, and that's off my chest. But then yeah. I just put it in my draft box and maybe 24 hours later, maybe 12 hours later, whatever. After a while, I will go back and look at it again, maybe adjust it, maybe never send it. <laughs> I mean, no, I do that. I've definitely done that. Many and, times. and that's yeah. something, again, this is purely on the secular level. We'll get into the spiritual side in just a minute. But that's one of those places where the melancholic might do that more naturally. You may have to sort of train yourself to do a little bit more of that if you don't have that temperament. So. Just some things I thought of there that uh, that we can learn from the melancholic. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as the melancholic, when it comes to the spiritual life, just like the choleric, you can use their high-minded idealism to be great. You can use the melancholic, who's di- very distinct from the sanguine, who's more sense-oriented. Their senses really draw them and excite them. The melancholic is excited much more by ideas that are long-lasting and very deep and very serious and important and more long, like eternal, you know. So appeal to the the deep kind of eternal idealism of the faith and that intimacy of real meaningful bond that they can have with God. So they're going to be more drawn naturally to naturally to the supernatural, to having a prayer life um, because that's something mystical. It's not just day-to-day stuff, and it seems meaningful. Well, so well can, on that note, if I can just ask real quick, because it sounds like what you're describing, I know we've hammered a lot in this uh, episode in the interior life, meditative prayer, the meditation, daily meditation. So what you're saying, it sounds to me like you're saying that the melancholic will be sort of predisposed, it's going to be easier for him. I don't know if that's true, though. Is it, or is it that the melancholic is going to have maybe a does he have to work on something still to get to that mental prayer, or is it just a natural... Yeah, well, they're, they are routine oriented and they have a disposition more toward deeper thought. So in that way, they might be inclined to the habit and just going to prayer because it's something they, they like deep thought. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the most disposed to advance a whole lot though, because the advancement comes in. I'm a detaching from my own thoughts. Um, and this comes into like, well, their perseverance is what might be difficult, especially because the two big 
temptation in the spiritual life for a melancholic would be despair um, and discouragement um, and then in a fear of suffering because they can dramatize things they tend to think oh the cross is just so big it's just impossible to do woe is me so they have to be trained to just to, to really counter that cynicism that they tend to have be like okay it's not really that bad you know there's the cross yeah but it's not like like we can do this you know with, with god's, god's grace. grace we can yeah. do it yeah so get that confidence is really important as well as the perseverance to continue through the hard times and that comes down to really they have to learn to trust god without an interior life without supernatural faith they definitely contend toward despair you know or just trying to drown themselves in alcoholism or something like that you know and so it's really important that they're given that sense okay i embrace the cross i embrace suffering and i trust god and i have hope in him they have to continually come back to that and that's what's going to that's what's going to give them the energy and say okay i'm going to keep doing these habits you know whereas a sanguine it's not that they're being pushed away because they're despairing they're just being pulled in too many directions if that makes sense. The same one's like, oh, I could be doing this and this and this and this and this. And I'm on this idea and that idea, you know, and oh, yeah, I was going to keep praying, but it's not it's just not something deeply rooted for this melancholic. They know I'm going to do this. This is like my daily thing. And I'm inclined to this. But I'm afraid of it because of the cross and all of a sudden it's getting hard. And like, do I really trust God? You know, that's that's when they're going to hit the roadblock of really sticking with it, you know. So it's different struggles. Everyone, you know, has their different struggles in, in developing that prayer life. But either way, as far as if the goal isn't merely just getting the habit in place, but advancing, melancholic definitely has its, its difficulties. Well, and I was going to say, I think from the little bit that I've sort of learned and seen, it would seem to me that a big thing is um, for the melancholic, the subject that he's meditating on, um, which I think you've kind of really alluded in that, yeah. yes, he's, he's naturally going to want to like do this thinking, this deep thinking or this quiet thinking. So that aspect is not hard. But as you just said, his his thoughts can go off wayward, I think, very easily, and he can just follow those. And they could be into these more dramatic of uh, a woe is me or, or just the negativity or, or these things are too big, as opposed to really maybe having to sort of strategize more and be more intentional about this mystery of the faith is what I really need to meditate on, uh, the precious blood of our Lord, right? Because it has infinite power, power to heal me, power to save me, power to protect me. It is the power that opens up heaven. And so may the precious blood wash me. So let me start sort of doing this deep thinking and connecting uh, the mystery of the precious blood with all the other mysteries, with the mystery of the sacred heart, with the mystery of the blessed mother, with the mystery of the Trinity, with the mystery of the passion, how it affects the other saints, how it affects me. And so then you have like this plan. And so you're not just all following your own train of thought, which is the tendency, but you may have to be a lot more intentional, I think, about some of the things. And I think this is where a priest or spiritual counselor or even just that spiritual friend and accountability person that you have might be able to suggest certain things if, if they know, you know, some of these different subjects for meditation. But when you pick a subject, have a purpose for it, right? No, this is a, a weakness I have, a deficiency I have, a virtue I need to go in right now and meditate on this particular aspect of God or of the Catholic faith or a virtue. A saint's life is going to help me in the thing I'm working on. And I think that's going to be very challenging, actually, for the melancholic to really kind of keep themselves focused on that or even just the joy. Right. The Psalms of joy, the great goodness that God has done for your life. Um, We don't meditate on that enough. We often have a running script in our head that's very negative about whatever it might be, you know, our job, our friendship, our marriage or whatever. And we've got to turn that that voice around and have a good positive script narrative running in our head 
Um, so that can also be hard for the melancholic. You've got to be real intentional about it in your prayer life. Yeah, and I, I would, yeah, I'd highly encourage melancholics to recognize, like, it is good that God's given that disposition of the depth, you know, and to channel that, to consider what a really good relationship with God looks like. You know, the ideal, the ultimate thing, it is joyful. You know, you should have that ideal in mind that ultimately we're looking for something that is joyful. That's why we go through the cross. You know, ultimately we have hope in heaven and that's what we're, in this life there's a lot of suffering, but there's also a lot of joy that begins here below, you know, with our Lord and that intimacy with him. And so it's just important for them to do meditations that are related to that. That also will help with some of that rumination you were talking about um, because the the tendency can also be, it's actually pride a lot with melancholics too, but it's a hidden pride. That's why it's even more difficult with melancholics to advance sometimes because they don't necessarily recognize it and others may not recognize it immediately. You can think of in religious life like a brother who's very critical of others, but because there's a lot of silence and they don't talk a lot, they just don't say a whole lot. But um, you could think of someone who may have been up for a promotion, but they didn't say or they could have been promoted if they had asked, but they didn't say anything and someone else got the promotion. A melancholic might not say anything, but they might like really fester, you know, this sort of um, jealousy or judgment, a critical spirit or whatever, um, but they won't say something. And so that that's why it's important that the melancholics to get rid of that, that pride, that comparison that I should be I should have control, you know, in this way. Um, that joy can actually really help counteract that, um, I think, especially when it comes from our Lord. Um, yeah, and I mean, I would just emphasize again the joy of all. Remember, none of these things are going to be like exclusively specific this or that temperament. So you may be sitting there saying, well, I don't really think I'm a melancholic. You know, I'm a sanguine or a phlegmatic or what have you. But some of these tips, I think, are still going to be very helpful. I, I think in particular right now, the whole talk you're saying about, you know, ruminating on the negative things, it, it's tough. The situation in the world is tough. The situation in the church is tough. And that can get, I think, anybody down, especially with the bombardment we're getting on the media. So, I mean, it definitely helps to turn off a lot of the media channels. Don't listen to them as much. Some of it is inevitable. And certainly don't put your head in the sand. You do have to be aware of what's going on. But for everything that you're sort of hearing that's real negative, and that could be anyone, it it might affect the melancholic worse. But even the rest of us, you do have to have that positive focusing on the good that God brings about. Um, Because certainly one of the main things that the devil does to attack any of us is he, he tries to make us sad. He, he is like that yeah. black cloud that just hangs over you. And so we have got to be fighting that. Uh, we don't want to get trapped in his black cloud. We might even at some point in the future, some of some future shows, Kevin, if you're up for it, look into the, the steps of spiritual discernment by St. Ignatius, right? I was Discern just about to say that. Yeah. Those rules for discerning, I think that, that's in fact where I'm getting this, right? That the devil is the black yep. cloud, but he's always attacking yep. you with depression. And so I think for all of us, especially given what's going on now. And I think it's clear that the devil's got more power in the world. He's been granted that power. Our sin has given him that power. We do. We do have to think on the positive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I was, I was going to say in, in the spiritual life, it's common today for the, the very devout community to tend to be more either melancholic or choleric because of the kind of more critical spirits. Is they're more apt to saying, oh, yeah, this is wrong, and I'm not going to be like that. But for the melancholic especially, they the, the most effective way of training a melancholic or of you have melancholic subordinates um, or children or um, is not to like scold them because that can really discourage them and make them just kind of bottle up more, but to be encouraging, really support them in doing the good. And so I'd encourage those people who are melancholic to recognize that instinct that you have on one hand, when it does happen to humble yourself and to not take yourself too seriously. But on the other hand, 
especially in the devout circles, there's a lot of like sermons and things that you can listen to that are very kind of fire and brimstone or very that the tone just sounds very critical and kind of harsh. Just be cognizant of how that can impact your own spirit, the, the spirits and your soul. And that's like, as David was saying, as far as what meditations you go to is also what content you're bringing in. Um, you've really right. got to learn to moderate that um, if you're going to advance. And always balance it. I mean, what yeah. you're saying right now, I've heard certainly people say about the message of Fatima, why some people don't want to hear about it. There are certainly, right, it's not, yeah. let's say, gloomy or, you know, very scary things about the message of Fatima. But Our Lady only gave to protect us, right? In the end, yeah. I think the big thing is to always remember her immaculate heart does triumph. Uh, God does want to save exactly. souls. God does win. It doesn't matter how much the devil racks up the score. In the end, God will win. And so if you do think about the negative, you've always got to tell yourself, yes, but Our Lady will triumph. Our Lady's got the grace. All we have to do is ask for it, right? We've got the RCSOS, so the Roman Catholic SOS. We keep talking about there is only one solution. Our Lady's already given to us, right? The rosary. You consecrate yourself, pray for Russia's consecration. You wear your scapular. You offer your penance, your prayer, your daily duty, pray for the Pope, and you do the first Saturdays. And I mean, and if you're doing those things where we focus on that, there will be a great joy. Do not allow like the world to get you down because there is a solution and we have the solution. So ultimately, the message of Fatima is not really one of doom and gloom. It's one of great joy. It's going to be great triumph. But you, you do have to flip it. You do have to be able to see it that way as with, you know, all the other difficulties you may be encountering in your personal life, in your parish life, in your government, in your nation's life, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good deal. Well, thanks, Kevin. Let's go ahead and close with a prayer. Sounds great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris, tu Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus. Nuc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio, et Spiritui Santo. Sicut erat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you back here soon, God willing. Thanks, David. God bless everyone. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the glory of God and salvation of souls. St. Ignatius and St. Jerome, Pray for us.